0: welcome to another episode of open studio i'm your host martina flor and in this show i feature a conversation that i had a few weeks ago on the pencil pushers podcast with mike rosado as you may have noticed by now i like featuring accomplished artists on this podcast to unveil strategies that could help you unlock your creative potential and make a living with your skills Now, I'm sharing this episode because it unveils my own path as a lettering artist, how I left everything behind and moved from South America to Europe and pivoted careers. The steps I took to start my lettering studio and get my first clients, the skills that I had to acquire to make it as an artist, build a team and land dream assignments including insights on how I navigated the COVID-19 pandemic to shape a new vision for my business that now propels other lettering artists and illustrators forward. Perhaps you have been listening to previous episodes or you are new to the show and you wonder who the heck I am. And I think that this episode makes a great introduction and shows you that I'm an artist like you and that I've been there going through the same challenges that you're experiencing right now. If anything, I hope that this episode will show you what's possible for you as an artist and will provide you with some insights and tactics that you can use to shape your own path. I want to thank the Pencil Pushers podcast again for letting me share this episode. You can find their show on all podcast platforms under the Pencil Pushers podcast and on Instagram at the Pencil Pushers podcast. I will add a link to the show notes so that you can find them and explore the great content that they are putting out there. Now, enjoy this episode with host Mike Rosado and yours truly. We continue doing client work as well. This new direction that the studio has taken is so fulfilling. It makes me so happy. It allows me to work with a team and to hire other people. And it really creates an impact in my students. So that's a win-win situation for everyone. Recorded at the Kitchen Studios, this is the Pencil Pushers Podcast.
1: Welcome Leadheads to another fine episode of the Pencil Pushers Podcast. I'm, as always, your humble host, Mike Rosado. Today, I'm thrilled to be sharing a very special chat with lettering artist, educator, and leader of her very own studio, the wonderful Martina Flor. We went through a whirlwind of topics that start with the courageous pivot of her leaving her comfy job in Buenos Aires as a graphic designer to train as a lettering artist in Berlin, Germany, into discussions about why this is the best time in history to be a creative, how to position yourself for high-profile client projects, how to even do so as introverted independent creatives, and her thriving academy she created for lettering and illustration students. This talk was so much fun, filled with all kinds of inspiring takeaways, and man, I just can't wait for you to dive in. So let's not waste any more time. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat with Martina. We are live with Martina Flor. How are you? Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Thank
0: you so much for having me on the podcast. I
1: know. I'm really excited to have you. It's uh, certainly a a little bit of a time jump. You're, I think, in the evening, right? You're in Berlin, right? It's 10 a.m. over here, Eastern Standard Time.
0: Yeah, it's 4 p.m. here.
1: Yeah, okay. Not too bad. entering the evening.
0: Yeah, not too
1: bad. For the listeners out there, Martina is a lettering designer. Um, She's a lettering artist. Um, She's also an educator. Uh, she's got her academy that she's very excited uh, about to, to share her knowledge and her experience and have new budding uh, lettering artists emerge from the scene, which will be really cool. Uh, she's also yes. an author. Um, she's a podcaster. She's got a great po- podcast. What, what is the name of your podcast? I'm, uh, I actually don't have it written here.
0: It's Martina Flores Open Studio.
1: Okay, killer, killer. Um, Yeah, designer, illustrator, teacher, author. Um, So she she runs the gamut. She is what I would say is a very modern uh, creative of the day. I mean, this is something we were just talking about before we started pressing record is what an age that we're living in right now where we can actually have our hands in so many different avenues to create, to share to communicate, to gather, et cetera. I mean what do you what do you think about that? It's pretty pretty cool, pretty cool time to be alive if you're creative, huh?
0: Absolutely. I I usually talk about this to other creatives I work with because there's never been a better time to be an artist and a creative. And there's never been a better time to make a living from it, right? Nowadays you can make so many things with with your skills. You can teach to other people. You can run a podcast and monetize it. You can, you know, create illustrations for clients. You can do a number of things. And and I think it's also great from our times that, you know, the power to to explore different avenues is in our hands. Everything is so accessible. Yes. And for a creative mind um, or a creative profile is... Is like the dream life. You can try a lot of different stuff. You can, you know, use your curiosity for, to take you in different directions. Mm. And as I said before, I, I do that often. But at the same time, from time to time, I stop to think and reflect about, you know, what, I wa- what do I want to continue doing, right? Mm. Uh, what are the things that really mean something to me? Mm-hmm. You know, beyond exploring and trying out new things and new creative avenues Um, at some point you have to you need to stop and say like hey what do you know what makes sense what with your time which are the avenues with your time which are which are the avenues that bring the more impact the more joy
1: yeah yeah, it's a huge, yeah. that's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Berlin, I, I've always, you know, I have a, a, a friend who lives in Berlin. She's a photographer. Um, mm-hmm. We went to school together in Savannah, Georgia, and um, I love her dearly. Um, shout out to Adela. Um, and uh, Berlin, to me, feels like it's an extremely creative city. Uh what is it like living there? What's it like being a creative in in such a creative city and and obviously you're you're not from um Germany, right? You're from South America, I believe right? am I wrong or okay yes, okay.
0: yes. I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, oh and I moved here twelve years ago. my dream city um, by the way, I'm
1: dying to go visit i'm I'm dying to go, mean, go there yeah, yeah, yeah we'll have to chat I about it definitely some definitely other go. time yeah yes, yeah, so um,
0: yeah, I moved here. 12 years ago and I built my life and my business and everything here and I just love the city because it just it was the place where I decided to you know I was intentional in in which direction I wanted to take my career who I wanted to be my friends (laughs) uh, which kind of family I wanted to build Ah. I think I think for for many of us who have relocated cities I think that there's a lot of challenges in that, in just moving countries. You know, I moved to a totally different country. I didn't know the language. I didn't have any friends or contacts. And I think there's a lot of challenges in, in doing that. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity. There's the opportunity for you to, to start over and to create a circle of people around you that really help you achieve your goals, mm. you know, and and also set yourself new goals. So. Yes, answering to your question, but like, I love Berlin. Yeah, yeah, but what yeah.
1: would, so just, uh, I'm just curious now that you said that, what was it that you weren't necessarily getting in Buenos Aires, but you, but, mm. but number one, and number two, what was it about Berlin that got you so
0: excited? Good follow up question. I think that um, when I moved to Berlin, I was ready to pivot. Careers. So I'm originally a graphic designer, and I worked for many years as a graphic designer and uh, an art director. I, you know, pretty quickly in or pretty early in my life, I, I, um, I went up the ladder of uh, graphic design. So when I was when I turned 27, I was a creative director, di- directing a team at an agency. And at some point, I said I thought that this was not something that brought me joy and I I actually believed that I would just quit and do something else and at that moment like even even out out of
1: even out of the creative field
0: yes I I mean I was I was doing illustration on the side so I thought like what you know there should be something better for me out there that has to do with creativity that is not necessarily doing graphic design or, well, at that time I was actually managing a team. I was more in my email software than in my Illustrator uh, app, right? Mm -hmm. so Adobe Illustrator app. So yeah, so I decided to uh, double down on some talent that I had around illustration and letter drawing and I moved abroad that was the first thing or big thing that I did, that I moved abroad and I signed up uh, for a type design master course, like a one year master course in the Netherlands. So I really it was a, a really long shot. I just moved countries. I, I invested all my uh, savings in this experience. And um, I said, like, hey, let's find out if there is something here for me. And that experience was really um, a tipping point in my life after that I said like hey I need to you know I I want to go down this path. I don't know exactly how it looks like the, the path that I'm going down. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah. Um and after that experience I moved to Berlin. Um because I felt that it was a place you know Berlin is a very I think it's one of the um super edgy the cities with Yes, but also it's one of the cities with the most, the biggest number of type designers. Oh, really? So I moved here. Yeah, yeah. I think there's around 50, at the time there were around 50 type designers living and working in the city. So that's that's a bunch of people for the type design world. Yeah. And yeah, and I moved to Berlin to look for this environment that will just keep me accountable and also show me ways in which I could with my love for typography and letter drawing i could make a living and you know start a new direction in my career so um i don't know if i answer your question there but yes i felt that berlin had something for me in terms of you know the environment the community um and of course i mean there's nothing wrong with the with the people I wasn't rounded with in, in Argentina mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing uh, you know I appreciate <laughs> I'm sure they were having, like is this
1: something we said
0: Martina what's going on here
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think it has to do with you know changing your context or changing the context also creates or you know, inspires change yeah. within you. And I think that's what I needed in, in my life. I needed a bigger change that I had to do not only with what I was doing, but also with everything, you know, like with... Yeah, um,
1: yeah, yeah, because yeah. oh, well, there's... there's you know there's a a, a couple of things you know that i just keep popping in my head you know firstly you know you you're uh you're latin my my family's from puerto rico i know that if i were to just say i was going across you know to a completely different continent my they would they would freak out my mom would freak out oh, yeah. um mm. uh but but so number 1 i think it's incredibly bold and brave that's a brave move you did but mm. not not mm. only now it, it, now, it would have been easy Uh, if you would say, well, I'll go to Spain, you know, um, I'll go to Spain. Yeah. I I speak Spanish. It's I'm going to Europe. Okay. That's cool. But then you moved to Germany. I mean, so you were, so, so number one, you left your career. You were an illustrator. I'm still trying to figure out how, how you got into lettering design in particular, what the love of that. Mm. Uh, Mm. but, but. Uh, you moved there in a highly competitive space mm. and you said, no, I'm going to be where all the top lettering designers are because
0: mm. uh, yeah. you could
1: have been a big I mean, fish in a small pond. So you did yeah. a lot of really, really bold moves. That's impressive. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think perhaps the biggest or the the smartest decision there was to put myself in a, inside a community that was really thriving for excellence in the discipline I wanted to work within, right? So, so I wanted to, to work within the letter design discipline. At that time, you know, 10 years, over 10 years ago, lettering was not a thing. It was, the, you know, the, there wasn't even like a name mm-hmm, for it mm-hmm. or, a, a, you know... Uh, it wasn't even a niche, mm-hmm. so I was also trying to figure out what I wanted to do within the letter design industry because either you will be a type designer or, you know, yeah. there was no point in between. So, um, so I think one of the most clever things that I did in that time, without realizing now, is something that I encourage every illustrator artist that I work with. Uh, I tell them like, go. And find a community that is really encouraging to encouraging you to to thrive strive for excellence or for getting really good at what you do, because the you know the community of type designers that I was in were really renowned type designers, so everything that I was producing, I felt that had to had to be at that level, mm-hmm. and I felt also that they were keeping me accountable in terms of like I felt that they were looking at what I was doing, mm-hmm. right? It was, I was the new girl coming from South America with these colorful drawings, with letters, you know, they, they were a bit um, curious about right. it, but also like, you know, doubtful about it. So I that really kept me accountable to do my thing and at the same time do it well, and um, yeah. And, and were
1: there ever any moments of self-doubt while you were going through that because you're basically again you're going amongst these mm. really well established people in a foreign country to you uh, you know g- diving into this new industry a newbie yeah uh, were you intimidated by that
0: absolutely every time and i I still continue to be intimidated by things and i think this happens to every one of us the question is whether that's going to stop you from doing it anyways Mm. and i think this is something that i perhaps i train myself to do that is like if there's something that i feel fear around um i would just you know try to do it consistently so that the fear goes away and i remember for instance one example of that is that i remember that I was invited to my first talk, in, or sorry, to my second talk in Berlin. The first one I was invited to do was at Creative Mornings, which yeah. was a, a more or less international event, mm-hmm. and I could do it in English. Yeah. So I felt okay. Yeah, they have the mirror It's my first too. speaking. Yeah. yeah, so it's my first speaking engagement. I can do it in English. It's fine. I will do it, and it went fine. But I think my second or third uh, speaking engagement was. A, a primarily spe- a germ- German um, speaking event and they actually offered me to do it in English but I said like no I would do it in German <laughs> and I trained myself to just do it in German and I how remember was your, that how I, was
1: your German like before you you moved to Germany non-existent zero oh, my
0: God. no I literally didn't right, know you're my new hero hello, but go on Germans. keep
1: going you're my new hero but keep going yes keep going <laughs>
0: No, I'm no one's hero, but I think, you know, it's like, I think it has a lot to do with that, which, you know, it, with, with that thing of like a, even if you're afraid of something or something makes you uncomfortable, it's it's not enough reason t- for you not to do it, right? So, yeah, so it was, I had this, um, this opportunity to speak in front of an audience, a type design related audience and potential clients there and I did it in German and I was super nervous and I was really shaking before I went on stage um, but it was the you know what's the after that first one everything became easier mm-hmm. so I always think of that myself after the first one it's gonna be easier for yeah. me and this is what I'm I'm aiming for whenever I I do something that I'm really afraid mm-hmm. of or I'm, Yeah, I'm insecure about.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> That's a, it, it's sort of a running theme that I've met with uh, a lot of conversations I've had with, with people on the podcast is um, this idea of being afraid a lot of times, these ch- big mm-hmm. challenges and stuff, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, the reward is going to be greater than the risk. Because because at the very end of the day, I mean, it is about, you know, learning and reflecting and and using that data to now see what can I do better next time. But then you've also on top of that, you've got this power that's on top of you because because you accomplished that that first step. Right. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times that's the most difficult thing is taking that first step, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think also you can totally relate to this. Like if you're assigned or if you're commissioned to do a branding project nowadays after doing, I don't know, dozens of branding projects, you're in, in a different position <laughs> right right, right now, right? You're confident. You can do it. Mm-hmm. You you don't shake whenever you're going to meet a client that is going to assign you with a, a branding uh, project, right? Yeah. But uh, for instance, to start a podcast is something perhaps, well, not now, but it's something... That was new for you. I don't know, two years ago or three years ago when you started this podcast, yeah, right? Yeah. So there's always new challenges coming in. I think the the key is always like to to make that first step and just to build on that experience, so that after a few experiences, you have confidence and you can really enjoy it. Yeah, because the first times are not entirely enjoyable, right?
1: Yeah, it's actually cool. I, I think, and I'm, I'm I am sure in the what 15 um minutes that that we have been speaking together that i have a feeling that um uh you see these challenges as now almost like exciting moments because you've had the experience of trying them before so you know you're going to be learning uh something new about yourself you know and you know that you're going to be growing a little bit more and, uh, and, and you know, that's a, that's a really, I find it to be, it's both a humbling and also empowering place to be, I would say, because, because when I say humbling, I mean, is because you are, you're becoming subservient to the challenge ahead, and you're not letting your kind of ego get in the way, um, which, can, which can block you from sort of being free and open to the possibility of, you know, the best part of the experience that, you know, that you're taking on. but then the empowerment part of just knowing that now it's almost like a sense of play because you know oh i'm gonna learn something here this will be cool it's a challenge you know and so you it's like you get your muscles worked in in that way
0: absolutely yeah you get used to the idea of like if there's a challenge there's probably something for me on the other side right and um yeah, and not let your, the challenge just stop you from discovering what's on the other side. Really. Yeah,
1: definitely. So let's talk about, yeah. like, so you get to Berlin, and now um, uh, you're, you're it seems like you're perhaps maybe more in learning mode uh, heavily mm. at this point. Um, mm. What Was the intent that you were trying to uh, open up a studio, or were you like, oh, maybe I should try and pair up with some of these other... Uh, top designers and and maybe work under their wing. I mean, what was your thought? Did you have a vision for what your five year goal was? As an example,
0: when when I started my my design studio, yeah, or?
1: sure, or just like you know when you first got to Berlin. I mean, what was the what was mm. the goal for you?
0: Yeah, so when I first got to Berlin, I just wanted to um, to understand w- how it was. W- how it looked like to work in the type design industry or in the letter design industry. So the first thing I did was to um, find an internship on a, a type okay. foundry here in Belen. Um It's called Lucas Fonts and it's one of the most renowned type designers worldwide. And I had like a, a one-year internship in his uh, studio. Mm. And that was a really interesting experience just because it, it allowed me to explore or understand how its site foundry worked, mm-hmm. and you know what kind of projects they did, and it was also very interesting for me to understand that this was not what I wanted. <laughs> <to do. laughs> you know, is uh, so <laughs> after this experience, <laughs> or during this experience, I was also doing my own, you know, running my own workshops, doing okay. my own side projects. You're being very active so here still, I w- yeah exactly so i was kind of developing my own um vision of what i wanted to do while this experience was really nurturing and really important to me i still kept exploring and after that experience i i just started my studio in lettering Mm. design Mm. Uh, so after i stopped working for the studio um yeah i just started my studio i set up i uh, designed my website i just filled it with you know, I put all the old uh, uh, projects down, and I put all my lettering work up, and I printed my business cards yeah. beautifully done <laughs> on letterpress.
1: Nice. <laughs>
0: and, and I just just went out there to say, like, "Hey, hi, I'm a lettering designer." Yeah.
1: Now, yes. now, really quick before you you continue on there, because I, I still want to hear the rest of this journey here. But you know, I, I think that a lot of people assume that a lettering designer is uh is is designing fonts that you know you tap on the keyboard and it it emerges but but there there yeah. is a difference a lot of times and sometimes they you know they certainly intersect but can you tell people a little bit about what the difference really is there
0: Yes, so I also design fonts within my my business we also design custom fonts for clients, but basically the difference between lettering and letter uh, Type design is that lettering is a unique typographic unit. It's just a name or a couple of words. Singular it's a design yeah. that is. It's a singular design that is thought for a certain application, for a logo type, for a packaging, for a book cover. Now, a font, on the other side, is a system of interchangeable. Modules where all combinations work. So you create an alphabet, and um, any ways you combine uppercase, those letters, lowercase,
1: italicized exactly,
0: yeah. it all works together, yeah. right? It's a system of modules where all combinations work, right? Um, and yeah, and the you know the the I think the most differential part of lettering is that it's a unique design piece, whereas a font can be used for several purposes and several people and several designers in several projects, Mm -hmm. right, so. Mm -hmm.
1: So in that instance, um, are you, they say you do create fonts and sell them online, Mm -hmm. I would imagine, or?
0: We have created a couple of fonts for different type foundries, um, but essentially in the last years, we have just created custom fonts for, specific projects uh, which require some sort of lettering input and then they needed to expand into a a bigger project so for instance last year or two years ago we designed a, a custom font for a cosmetic uh, brand from Uh-oh. I forgot her name <laughs> uh, from a very well known uh, US Ah uh, singer. Uh, wait, I forgot her name, but I, it's going to come back. Okay. It's on my website anyways. But, uh, you know, she launched a, um, a cosmetic brand and we designed a font that could be used on all over the place, like all over. Um, um, yeah, on packaging, sure. on advertising. So it had a, a lettering feel to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was a font that, you know, some designer or all the designers that were working in the project could take and just use and create all the applications they needed to create. create, Yeah, Yeah,
1: it feels to me like um, lettering design, if I were to choose between the two, for me, lettering design would be the way I would want to go because... The tediousness mm. of what's necessarily and, – and it's not to say that it can't get tedious doing lettering design for sure. You know, sure, surely mm. m- many of the the, the uh, work that you've done is very intricate, mm. very precise. Um, mm. uh, and, but when it comes to creating a system in which everything works throughout the entire alphabet, including potentially oh, yeah. even numbers too, I don't think it's necessarily the case, right? But it, it should. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah it just seems like that would be a very, very unique challenge and are you heavily involved in that, or do you have other people that you're that you 're working with to like for example, are you the one kind of helping design the main aesthetic of it, and then do you have somebody who sort of takes that rein, builds off of it, um, and then creates a full system for that? Is that sort of how it would work, or
0: how exactly yes I think um, yeah nowadays i don 't do the font. I don't expand the font myself, perhaps, and I don't do the font production. I would just um, have more of a role of um, art direction and yeah. init- like, initial concept creation, but then the expansion and the technical side of it, perhaps is taken over by someone in my team, yeah. Yeah, gotcha.
1: For sure. So um, going back to your studio um, you know, and related to that, so there you did. So you did this one project for a pop star of some sort, right? That mm. who will will insert later somehow. It's
0: gonna come out. <laughs> it's gonna
1: come out. Now I'm very curious how this started. Twelve years ago, is that right? The the uh, so yes. you, about, uh, you moved to Berlin around that time. Um, what was the? So
0: sorry, I got okay. here. It's Selena Gomez. Oh, Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez. I don't, Selena Gomez. Yeah. I don't know how you call it. Yeah, yeah, Selena, Selena Gomez. Gomez so. Right, yeah.
1: yeah. they say Selena <laughs> yes. Gomez here. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah right, God. right. But
1: uh, yeah, you're more correct. That's true. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's pretty awesome. So how do you position yourself to winning mm-hmm. the bids for projects like Selena Gomez or, you know, you've done stuff for like Washington Post and Vanity Fair, HarperCollins, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, Adobe and stuff like that. So... How did you position yourself and I I would I would again I'm going to take a s- strong guess that you were very strategic in how you made mm. those opportunities happen. Can you tell us about how that came to be?
0: Yeah. So I always say that and I I'm I'm very clear about this right now. Um, much more than I was in the very beginning. This is something that's why I try to to speak about it often, and like save some times for those that are newcomers in the, you know, lettering or illustration industry. That I focus strongly in my skills. I I try to, you know, from the very beginning I try to strive for great work to do to produce a lot of work so i was doing that from the very beginning and i think that's that's really key when you're trying to establish yourself as a lettering artist or an <coughs> illustrator i think that or as a you know branding agency you need to put your work front and center however it is not all right and you also need to you know i don't or i never had this um this attitude of like if you build it they will come um i was just going after opportunities right so it wasn't like i was waiting for clients i wasn't expecting clients to find my website Mm -hmm. i was you know just looking for their names kind of choosing or handpicking the projects or the people i wanted to work with and contacting them directly Mm. sending them promotional material or emails or cold calling I did a couple of trips to New York to just have meetings with publishing houses and um, advertising agencies I was very active into putting myself out there I think it's also something I needed to train I had to train myself Mm -hmm. in because it takes a certain skill set Yeah, but that doesn't mean that I I necessarily had it. I was also very, you know, in the very beginning, I was also um, I didn't know how to start a conversation. I didn't have these people skills that you feel or everyone thinks that they need to have in order to make connections with potential clients or people they could collaborate with. So I had to really train myself into, um, you know, how do I start a conversation here? How do I call their attention? How do I keep how do I stay? I stay top top of mind um, of my clients, mm-hmm. or in my clients, or mm-hmm. for my clients. Yeah. Um, so I was very active towards that, and I always tell the story of, you know, when I started my my lettering business, I created um, a card, uh, like a, a an endo, um, like a New Year's card, and I created a lettering for it, beautiful, and the card had like three blank spaces and every space stood for different wishes. So those that received the card had to write down their wishes, like wish number one, wish number two, wish number three. So wishes for the new year, right? And I sent this card to a lot of friends and colleagues and stuff, but I also sent it to people I wanted to work with. So for instance, I sent it to my agent, the, the people I work with until the date. I sent it to to my agents and- Were they your
1: agents at that time?
0: No, they were not my agents. That's why I wanted to work with them. So I, in that card, instead of leaving the blank spaces, I just wrote my own wishes. And the wish number one was to travel the world. The wish number two was to be happy. And the wish number three was to work with you, (laughs) right? (laughs) And after they got this card, they sent me an email and I've been working with them since then, wow. Which is like over, I don't know, 10 years now. Wow. And this card really brought me a lot of opportunities. I got my first speaking engagement through that card. Uh, I got also an assignment through that card. So, you know, I think there's a lot of value in doing great work and making yourself visible. But you also have need to go out there and look for the opportunities and not just stay Still and wait for them. Yeah,
1: so- yeah. It's a uh, um, you know in in the creative world, as you well know, we have a, a challenge with a large part of our population being more on the introverted side.
0: Yes, I
1: know. How yes. how do you think people should work through that? Because I'm sure that there are incredibly talented. I shouldn't say. Of, of course, there are incredibly talented <laughs> creatives out there who. Um, who really have a difficult time putting their their it could be either they're just insecure they don't think they're good enough or they just it's just not in their nature so Mm -hmm. you know i'm assuming you weren't quite like that um but i'm sure you had to reach some sort of threshold to getting more comfortable doing that because it wasn't something you were probably used to but what do you say for people that are you know yeah. a little bit more shy and and but they have yeah. incredible talent that you feel like they should be seen by millions of eyes
0: yeah i mean it 's totally understandable and it 's natural that they have these insecurities around you know how to talk to people if you 're an, an introvert and it 's interesting because. In, on my podcast, we have special episodes where I have conversations with people in my team. They are called Coffee Breaks. And recently, we had a conversation with Elias, who is the senior designer in my studio. And he, you know, he sees himself as a, an introvert. And he was asking me, like, how, do you, how do you do that when you're an introvert? How do you, you know, start conversations with people when you're an introvert? And I, I was telling to him that the fact that you are not, that you are an extrovert doesn't mean that you are really connecting with people. I have seen so many people that are extroverts and cannot hold a conversation, are not capable of listening mm. and understanding people, people's, people's needs or how they can help someone. They're talking and talking all the time. So the fact that you're an introvert and you can, talk doesn't necessarily mean that you can create um, a connection with someone and someone will remind you in the right way because perhaps they will remind you because they cannot stand you you have you have been talking the entire time that you have you know met with that person (laughs) right so I think that if you are an introvert, you don't necessarily need to think that that's something that's going to play against you. Um, as long as you can train yourself to you know, start conversations, which are, you can totally train yourself. Yeah. There's prompts, things you can use, read uh, books you can read about it. Um, and it's just about starting those conversations, listen to what other people says, remember what other people says. Um, and asking the right questions Uh, but you don't necessarily need to be super outgoing or super outspoken to actually create a start a conversation with someone so
1: that is uh, that's uh, you know I've asked that question a a few times and uh, that's one of the one of the best answers uh, uh, I've heard I you know uh, I'm in a relationship with a a very strong introvert she's also very talented Uh, she's great at her Mm. great at her job Um, Mm. Um, and her biggest value and something that I think I've probably learned a lot from her too, was, uh, she is, um, really great with one-on-one conversations, you know, Mm. she's better at it than me, I think in in a lot of ways, you know, and that just really, I think hits the nail on the head. I think that if Mm. you are an introvert, a lot of times you still love the connection, um, you may not want to be around a lot of noise with a lot of people for an extended period of time. But in my opinion, I think a lot of times introverts make the best friends because they're great listeners. They, they love to, you know, have that one-on-one time. So you really get that personal mm-hmm. connection like you're talking about. So that that's, I I hadn't even really thought about it from that angle. That's, that's really, that's really well said. Um, so, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, your career in general now. So just a little bit like uh, firstly, has your studio in general, how has it changed um, with the advent of COVID just out of curiosity? Like, has it changed the dynamic very much? I mean, you're doing a lot of international stuff anyway. So you're doing a lot of zoom calls, I would assume mostly, but uh, you know, I mean, what, what, what's how has it changed for you guys?
0: Yeah, it has. And I think, you know, because of COVID, I remember the day we, or here uh, in Germany, it was announced that, it, that there were... The shutdowns. That there was a lockdown. Yeah. The shutdowns, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember because I had to drive my team with their computers to their places, and I came back to the studio, and I sat down on this table, like at this table where you see me right mm-hmm. now, and I just cried. I thought, what do i do now like uh, there were emails and i you know just by telling you i remember and it brings tears to my eyes like there were emails coming in of clients canceling projects or putting putting them on hold Mm -hmm. so i actually sat down and said like well you know what's next what is what is that we are gonna do to keep on um the the show running and And gladly, you know, throughout my career, we were talking about this in the very beginning. You know, and thanks to my curiosity, um, I really opened up a lot of venues within my business. So my business is not based on just one thing. Uh, We don't only do client work, but we do a lot of different things. We create books and we, uh, we have an online shop. We started an online shop. Uh, we, um, I uh, studied workshops and seminars and I was teaching uh, workshops in-house and in my studio, I had online classes. So there were a number of things we were doing. So during COVID, we really pivoted towards, like I, I, I remember that I opened uh, my Excel sheet. I have an Excel sheet with all the income streams that I have in my studio, Uh, and this is something I share in my coaching programs. I show them how, you know, how I keep track of all the income streams. And I opened that uh, that sheet of income streams and I started to put a mark next to the things that were working and the things that brought me joy also. Um, Like I was actually marking like, oh, this this makes me really happy. This is training me. Uh, This is bringing in money, (laughs) perhaps (laughs) not making me super happy, but it's bringing in, you know, financial return. And I kind of decided at that moment that we were um, doubling down on our teaching uh, or our training Uh, for a long time. You know, part of my strong part of my business has been to teach other illustrators and artists to learn Hand lettering and also to coach them in their business. But it was always something that we would do on the side, or it was like a a side project, Mm -hmm, I would say. mm -hmm. (coughs) But I realized by looking at all my income stream that those, you know, those perhaps 10 days a year that we were offering workshops or running our uh, yearly seminar were bringing 30% of the income of our studio. So at that time I said like, hey, w- if we do that more, we could do something that we really enjoy, that we are really good at. People really want more of this and we can you know, keep on um, running the studio. And this is what we did. We, uh, we put all our trainings online. We were already building online trainings, but we took them online at that moment. Um, And since then we have been working heavily with students and with building our community and coaching lettering artists and illustrators. And we continue doing client work as well. This new direction that the studio has taken is so fulfilling it makes me so happy. It allows me to work with a team and to hire other people. And it really creates an impact in my students. So that's a win win situation for everyone.
1: Absolutely. And so you actually have, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably be right around the time when you're doing new registrations, right? Is is that right? So you have uh, talk 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 to us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, so we are we run a uh, coaching program, a group coaching program for lettering artists and, and illustrators, and um, it's called Leap Now, and we are going to open register we run it just once a year so we take a a limited group of of members into the coaching program so it's not a massive program we really um we really nurture our small group and um we take them through a journey of four months where we work intensively together Mm. Um, there's coaching calls there's group uh, meet or community meetings there's a community platform there's of course trainings, there's a retreat. There's a lot of things that we really wow. do to, to help those that want to launch their business. We help them launch their business, but there's also already people that are uh, already running their business or uh, already started working as illustrators or lettering artists, and we help them take their business to,
1: see that I feel so, like that is huge because I think that's still i mean i don't know what it's like in 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 Argentina and i don't know what it's like mm. in Europe, but generally speaking I think we I think universities are still really like incredibly slow to mm. to train um, art students how to be business people
0: absolutely and I think that also especially our niche um, artists and um, illustrators. Yeah. We have heard for so long that we you know it's extremely hard to make money with your mm-hmm. art that you won't do it as an artist you won't make it as an artist yeah. and I think um, we really need that extra push that extra training and that extra mindset change yeah. to take like a new position in the in the market and in the industry and also change our own narrative because that's not its not true anymore. It's not true anymore. We said in the very beginning of the podcast that you have so many venues to make a living as an artist uh, or an illustrator nowadays. So there's no reason to think that you won't make it. And I think one of the reasons that I run the podcast and I invite other lettering artists and illustrators to come on the podcast is just to show also that there is people making Mm -hmm. it. And if they can make it, you can make it too. It's
1: exactly right. So, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I just—I uh, think it was early last week. I was on a double date, <clears throat> and um, the couple that we were um, that we were hanging out with—they were talking about their teenage daughter, who was mm-hmm. incredibly talented, uh, very creative, very much involved in the theater arts, and even with sitting next to me, a designer who has a successful branding studio. Still, yeah. almost tried to allay my fears. That don't worry, she's really good at finance and and engineering. Like they still yeah. defaulted to like they, they were kind of like almost clutching their pearls, <clears throat> and yeah. and so you know it, there there's a there's a mindset there that still permeates through, even people who have progressive family members, you know, it's, it's very, it's very strange. So I feel like, uh, I don't know how much you dive into it. But I think the fact that you're even having that conversation or lifting them up from that perspective, is sort of a game changer. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. the more that uh, students in um, academies like this, prove that it's, you know, it's like proof of concept, right? Oh, I'm an Mm. artist. Uh, the world has told me many years that you can't succeed as an artist, and you know what? Yeah. And now I'm going to take these steps and taking classes and you know doing, being a part of these coaching programs, like you're being a part of, that that you're uh, as- lending assistance in, and and then proving once again one more bubble in that boiling pot, proving mm-hmm. that this is another successful independent artist who's making their way by themselves without having to be a part of some, you know, drop their dreams and start moving for, you know, working towards a pharmaceutical company. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think what you said is some point. I mean, there's a, I think a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of mindset and, you know, building a new narrative around what an artist can do and be um, and we do a lot of work around this in the program, but of course, there's all the other side, which has to do with you know the frameworks and the techniques and yeah. the actual uh, systems that you need to put in place to run a successful business, which is something that I personally learned by doing and by struggling mm-hmm. and like now, ten years after, of course, in the middle, I discovered coaching and masterminds, and i I've, I've seen the like the impact that that i had in my own business mm. and i think it's one of the reasons why i i think now like it, you know other artists don't just don't need to go through that process of like trying to figure everything out on their own yeah and struggling for many years to finally find their system or find a system um i think is just so rewarding for me um and i think it creates a great impact in the industry to provide this information and to help newcomers to, um, you know, to make it easier for newcomers.
1: Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really amazing. Um, and I, I think I, I just recently saw something you posted probably a few days ago about systems in general, you know, like yeah. how to create mm-hmm. efficiencies in your process, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you'll probably be talking about that in the workshops as well, too.
0: For sure, for sure. And I have to say that it's interesting because, you know, going back to to what you said before or what you asked me about, like, the how the business has changed thanks to the pandemic, I think that it's very interesting how, a, you know, the, 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 the decision of keeping the, or, like, the financial decision of keeping the business running through, doubling down on our trainings mm. has become now <clears throat> part of our vision. You know, it, it wasn't. It, it's no longer like a, a tactical strategy to keep the business running. Yeah. It's now something I really believe in yeah. and I, you know, my vision in terms of what I want for this studio and for this business has changed thanks to that because you know, when you see also um, the response and the change that you can create through this coaching and training, or that we are creating in the Academy through that, um, it's just mind-blowing. It's just, I, I want to do more of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds amazing. So, you know, um, as we start getting close to wrapping up uh, our talk mm. today, unfortunately, it zipped by, um, I really would love for you to share, like, how people can find out more about uh, the Academy. Um, can you tell, yeah. tell us a little bit more about you know, the details of that, how they can find you and and sign up and stuff.
0: So you can definitely find all the details about um, my academy's online trainings on martinaflor.com. you go to teaching and you will find all the details. Uh, You have also um, the opportunity to find about our coaching program on maketheleapnow.com. I'm gonna give you the link so you can add it to the show notes if you like. Perfect. Um, But there you can sign up for the waiting list. Uh, We will be uh, launching or opening registrations at the end of June. And before that we will be running a challenge of client outreach, which I was talking about today. Uh, It wasn't planned, Mm. but you know, I was talking about today about this, you know, this idea of like not waiting for the opportunities to come to you, but going after them. So we are gonna, Uh, run a challenge uh, before we open registrations uh, just to um, help you know um, everyone who wants to join uh, have that first you know land that first client through client outreach through our framework so um, they can definitely sign up for that um, for the waiting list and I will let them know when the challenge is on Uh, yes so those are the places to find me also Instagram is a great place to find me I share a lot of content there is at Martina Flor on Instagram perfect and Twitter as well
1: beautiful oh man Martina this was fantastic I really appreciate you taking the time to come hang out with me for a little bit
0: it was amazing Mike I love talking about all these topics
1: Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to chat sometime in the near future. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen with this academy. And hopefully, we're going to see a bunch of amazing new artists emerging out of there. And I can't wait to see what comes next.
0: You bet. (laughs) All
1: right. All right. All right. Take care.
0: All right. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Pencil Pushers podcast. Follow us on Instagram at The Pencil Pushers Podcast for visual representation of our guest artwork, topics discussed, and anything else that contributes to the show. So be sure to subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell lots and lots of friends. Become a leadhead. And we're out.